Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. I'm Kim Grenolds of Dogman.com with Chris Fetter, Scott Eklund. Oregon week is much excitement for this game as we have seen in a long time. Purple out ESPN game day here today. Uh, big game. And I don't even know. I don't even know who Joel McHale is, by the way. It's, you know, so I thought that was kind of an odd pick since he did it last time and sellout crowd. This is going to be as epic of crowd as we have had. You know, the last time we had a real epic crowd, I think, was the Stanford game on Friday night. But you go all the way back to the Nebraska game, the first night game um, back in the day and that epic crowd. But I think we're going to verge on something like that. But uh, huge, huge, huge week with game day being here. But before we get into the game. I had to go down to uh, Las Vegas earlier this week to deal with women's and men's basketball media day. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But uh, Chris, you had a chance to meet the new athletic director, um, Troy Dan, and it's kind of funny because we got an inkling that that was going to be the thing um, probably the day before it started leaking out. And then it just started leaking out because we got a heads up that it was probably going to be announced Monday or Tuesday with the press conference the following day. But all of a sudden I get a phone call on uh, Saturday and uh, yeah, they couldn't keep it under wraps. So they went ahead and announced it. I think they announced it on Saturday and Monday. You had a chance to uh, meet with, and it was Tuesday. Actually, you had a chance to meet with the new athletic director. Just give me your first of all, your overall impression. Scott was there as well on Tuesday and we did a little emergency podcast. We can, I'll try to link it in our, uh, show description serves if anybody wants to go back and, and listen to our kind of our initial thoughts but yeah it's uh it's interesting he he you know full of energy full of excitement for the position uh, i think that was kind of a testament when again you know the the announcement was made saturday i think he had interviewed if i remember the chronology correctly i think he had interviewed in seattle on thursday and by monday he was on the job this is a guy that clearly wanted this position and wanted to be at Washington, at a place like Washington. Um, clearly a pretty intelligent guy, very, very well connected at the NCAA level. He claims that, I mean, it, obviously I think he's dealing a little in hyperbole here, but said that basically he knows every athletic director in the country. So he's well, clearly well connected, uh, knows Jen Cohen really, really well, considers uh, her a friend, and, uh, and, and obviously has a lot of admiration and respect for her. And there, there was certainly some um, things that went in behind the scenes, I think, that helped him uh, get, a, get a foot in the door in terms of Washington through Jen Cohen. So, um, you know, it was just really good to kind of hear him talk about just kind of the general things that he really wants to pursue at Washington. He wants to win at everything. That was kind of the main thing that I got out of it. And he wants everybody to affect change not just within the athletic department, but also outside the athletic department. It was a it was a direct call to the Washington yep. fans for today's game. He wants everybody to get out there and scream their guts out today. And so he's already in it. You know, he was um, they did a um, I don't know if you saw it, Kim, but they did a uh, an, uh, I think it was a little ad or, or just a little promo. It was kind of a game sta- game day style promo uh, featuring Michael Penix. And it was with the bow and arrow um, kind of celebration. And Troy Dannon was in it. And so he's he's literally jumped in with both feet and uh, couldn't be more excited for the job. And I think the first impressions were really, really positive. Yeah, Scott, your overall first impressions? Uh, just very impressive guy. I mean, seems like he, uh, you know, he, he went out of his way to say, I'm not a micromanager. There's no way I can know um, what all the people who are underneath me have the knowledge that they have, um, you know, on their specific subjects. Um, he basically said, my job is to get everybody going in one direction, but as far as people knowing things and me always having my finger and everything, he goes, it's just not 
possible to do that. And so I've got to trust the people that I work with to know more than I do and to be good at their job. And I think that's going to be a big thing for him is going to be making sure that the people that he has with him and that are working for him are all um, well-versed in what they're supposed to be doing and, and uh, getting the job done. And, you know, he, he addressed the football situation and that football pays for everything else. And um, but he did say that he wants whatever um, the experience is for the starting quarterback of the football team. He wants it to be for the golfer who doesn't even make the trip um, with the varsity team. He says the experience should be the same for them from a quality standpoint when, when that comes to culture, when it comes to uh, academics and and all the things and their support and all those different things. He said, my job is to make sure that the the number one uh, person in the athletic department from uh, a team standpoint and then to the lowest person on the totem pole as far as a team is concerned has the exact same experience. And, and I think, you know, the fact that um, he said that Washington is one of the few schools who can win at everything. And he said, he said, there, there aren't that many schools who can do it, but Washington is one that it's realistic to win at everything. And so, um, you know, I, I was very encouraged, you know, it's, it's, it's the initial, uh, press conference, you know, he's going to say all the right things. Let's see what he does. I don't have any doubt that he's going to be a great fit here at the University of Washington, but um, I'm I'm wanting to see what what things transpire. He's a guy. He did say that he's a guy who always wants to do new things and always wants to improve yep. on different things, and and I think that's going to be a big thing in in helping improve the facilities and and because the facilities are going to need to in the next decade you're going to see new facilities need to be put up in different areas, and he's going to lead that charge. Yeah, kind of interesting things. First of all, from Iowa to New Orleans, I can't imagine a bigger culture shock going from Iowa to New Orleans. That's a pretty big culture shock going down to Tulane. Um, also, uh, Jen Cohen heavily involved in this, it sounds like. Uh, I, From reading kind of between the lines, uh, I think she endorsed him and recommended him. It was a name I heard quite uh, quite a long time ago, and uh, one unnamed person heavily involved in the program. It was kind of funny. Eh, she's still running things from L.A., so I thought that was kind of a funny comment. But um, yeah, I think the most interesting thing to keep your eye on, and I talk about this, is when you go in and take a job like this, you start opening closets, doors, and uh, drawers and desks, and you start finding skeletons and where the bodies are buried, and there always is there are always are those. And I think the thing that I'm not sure how aware he was of the budget issues that the current athletic program has, but this thing with the stadium, it's a big deal. And I keep talking about it, but going from a $7 million payment to a $17 million payment, it's $10 million. It's $10 million. And from what I'm hearing that uh, Anamari Kase is going to have to step up and upper campus is probably going to have to step up and, help with that and help with some of the athletic department uh, budget deficits. So uh, we'll see where that goes. And uh, I think that's probably, you know, uh, front and center on his desk. But I'm guessing very, very, very shortly. His next most important thing is I know that Kalen DeBoer, you know, was here one year, got a contract extension with a raise, expect it to happen again. I think that's going to be job number one. And just keep an eye on those NFL gigs that open up. And the reason I say that is uh, Jim Harbaugh is this his last year at Michigan. If Michigan comes in, uh, comes after Kalen DeBoer, is uh, that a job that you can turn down? So uh, specifically the L.A. Chargers job. So keep an eye on that. And uh, I think that's going to I think that's going to be job number one. But, Chris, getting back to today, you know, game day here, how big of a deal is it for University of Washington to showcase what this program is, what the city is on a national level with ESPN, which is by and large, ignored Washington for years. Well, it's fantastic. And, yeah, the, it, the relationship between Washington and ESPN hadn't been the great of late with Cupcake Gate and Quentin Kesnick and Mark Jones and all those kind of people kind of dumping on the program a little bit. And so it's probably good to, to, to get a little rehab done and things like that. But this, Kim, this game was a no-brainer. ESPN was coming here regardless of the maybe the outward relationship. I mean, you've got Pat McAfee right now and, in a war with Washington state fans and who cares, you know, he's coming to, they're coming to Seattle. He's already here. And, uh, and, and all that stuff. I mean, we're doing this, we're recording this right now while game day is going on. So we don't know exactly what, you know, 
Lee Corso is going to do as far as putting on a Husky hat or a duck hat or whatever. I know the last time he did it, it was Oregon. And, but I know it made a, obviously a clear impression on you because you don't even, you remember that Joel McHale was the guest picker, but you don't even know who Joel McHale is. Still don't know who he is. <laughs> so that, that was impressive, but you know, it's funny that the more these things change in terms of now they're coming back, but they're using some of the similar things and they're doing the thing right now in front of Suzalo, like they did in 2016. I know that a lot of people wanted it to be closer to the water and things like that. I just, I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's a really cool place where they did it, frankly. And I, I think it's a, a good shout. And, and frankly, when you do it in the dark, when it starts the game day show starts in the dark in Seattle, why would you do it in the lake? You can't even see the lake. You're not going to see anything out there. So ultimately, it's a really, really good thing. It's good to showcase Washington for obvious reasons. But they got they have to get this monkey off their back of winning on game day because they're zero and two so far in Seattle. They're one and six, I believe, overall. The only win came when they played at, if I remember correctly, at Utah in 2016. So they got to get that. They got to get that thing off their back first. They got to get kind of that game day curse off their backs. Scott, you're a guy who gets up early every every Saturday and watches game day. How big is this? Oh, it's huge. I mean, you can't you you just can't really talk about you know anything other than how big this is from a publicity standpoint, from a from a you know showcasing the university, showcasing the fan base and the passion that we have up here uh, for you know that that Washington Husky Nation has for. The Husky football program, it's it, there's nothing better than than uh, having e, uh, ESPN College Game Day. I know, um, you know, Fox has their big noon kickoff uh, thing, and I think it'd be interesting to have them here as well. But, um, you know, Washington, you have to you have to get the premier college football uh, pregame show on your campus when you can. And they're, that's what they're doing. As Chris said, Owen, two when they've hosted. So uh, hopefully this is the. Uh, this is the time that Washington is ready to break that that little streak. And Scott, what's kind of crazy is you would think that uh, with Notre Dame and USC on the schedule on Saturday, that would be the big game in college football. It's still kind of mind boggling that Washington, Oregon is the epicenter of college football, even with USC and Notre Dame being played today. Yeah, well, yeah, USC and uh, Notre Dame is the probably the biggest intersectional game that they've ever that that exists in college football, um, between those two schools. But, um, you know, it, it, as high profile as that, that matchup is, you've got the former Heisman winner, like you said, Kim and Caleb, Caleb, uh, Williams, and you've got one of the most storied programs in the country in Notre Dame, probably the most storied program in the country in Notre Dame. Um, you know, I understand the the thinking behind it, but you've got a number eight and number seven team in the country, or I'm sorry, number seven and number eight team in the country facing off against each other, a hate, a heated, hated rivalry, um, with no no losses. Basically, the winner of this game has the inside track to winning the conference, and or at least going, you know, being one of the two representatives in the um, Pac-12 championship game. So. Um, you know, I, I think there's way more implications in this game than, than uh, USC and Notre Dame, which nationally, I just don't think it's going to have the same kind of, I think nationally and conference wise, the, the matchup between Washington and Oregon has a much more impact than USC and Notre Dame. And Chris, diving into the game, you take a look at that Oregon offense. They've got a lot of firepower. They've got uh, Bo Nix, who's being talked about as a Heisman candidate. He's probably third or fourth on the list. They've got a really good running back in Bucky Irving. And um, why is the name of the wide receiver escaping me? Uh, Troy Franklin. Uh, Troy Franklin's a hell of a wide receiver. They've got some firepower. They've also got a more balanced offense that Washington does. How much, uh, you know, you take a look at that Oregon offense. Tell me what you see them doing and coming out against Washington today. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt. The balance is incredible. I mean, it really is. I mean, they're averaging basically about 230 yards rushing a game. They're averaging about 330 yards passing a game. You know, it doesn't sound necessarily balanced, but to be able to run that effectively and throw off of it that effectively, you've got Bo Nix averaging, I think he's throwing the ball 80% clip right now in terms of completion percentage. Now, they did get a blow. I think that Noah Whittington, they're, they're, I think he'd be the considered their third running back now, but uh, he was the second running back last year. He it sounds like he might be out for the rest of the year. So 
it's going to be Bucky Irving and Jordan James, and, and they've proved to be a pretty good one-two punch. I mean, they're averaging, you know, together well over eight yards a carry. And, and so I think that those numbers computed, they, they, they make sense to me, and I don't do math. Uh, and so when you add that to what Bo Nix can do, not just throwing the ball, but also, as we remember, very first play out of the gate in last year's game with Washington, he ran for a first down. So he's always a threat to run. Troy Franklin, you guys recognize, he's their big play threat. He's the guy that they're going to go deep on. But they've got a couple other guys like Treshawn Holden. I think he's the, the former Alabama guy. you got Tez Johnson, who's their speedster. You know, they've got a couple, uh, you know, I know uh, Terrence Ferguson, I know, can do some things with them at tight end. So they've got some, you know, they've got some targets. Former USC guy Gary Bryant is doing some things at wide receiver for them. So there's no doubt they've got some 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 players that can supplement what Bo Nix can provide. But this game's really going to start and end offensively for Oregon with Bo Nix and and how well that offensive line can protect for him. Right, Scott. Tell me what you see out of this Oregon offense. Ken Dillingham is gone. Will Stein is the new uh, OC there, and you know we we asked. Um, uh, coach Morrell and I've asked I asked a couple of the coaches uh, yet, uh, the other day on Tuesday what they saw different in what Will Stein does and the concepts that he throws at them compared to what uh, Ken Dillingham did. And they said a lot of the concepts have remained the same. He just might call a different play here in you know in a different situation than Dillingham would. But the, he's, they said basically the concepts are the same. And the guy they want to get the ball to down the field is Troy Franklin. But they they work so many of the other guys. Chris has already kind of run through them all, all of them um, underneath. And I and but I think at least initially, I think early on they're going to try and um, run on Washington because last year Washington had before. I went back and rewatched uh, the game this week, and before halftime, Washington had 14 missed tackles last year. And by the end of the game, it was over 20. And Washington cannot have that again this year if they're going to hope to win. Bucky Irving can make anybody look stupid. He can make great tackling defenses look look stupid in in what he can do. And um, one thing that I noticed this week um, was um, what Tony Castricone posted on uh, Twitter was, or X, whatever you're calling it. But, um, he basically said that, uh, Washington has allowed really good running teams, less than four yards per carry. And, um, you know, some teams have, have still gotten some yards, but that's because they've, they've, um, basically had, had no other way to get yards on Washington. And so they, they wanted to run the game. I think Oregon's going to come out and try and establish the running game. A lot of it's going to depend on what Washington is able to do with Tuli Letuli Sinola. Um, is he in, is he out? Is he, is he limited? Um, you know, that's going to be a big thing. I, I think he's playing this week, but you know, we don't know. And so, um, you know, if he's not in there, that really handicaps Washington and stopping the run, but Washington's got, uh, four really talented and experienced linebackers. So I think Washington's going to throw all they can at stopping the run and making them one dimensional. And the more you make them one dimensional, the better chance you have of getting a pick, getting some stops, getting some three and outs. And I think that's really going to be the key for Washington on the defensive side of the ball. And Chris, as I mentioned in you know my prediction, I think there's two keys to this game. And I think uh, this game is going to come down to possessions and getting that extra possession via a turnover. I think this game is going to come down to turnovers. When you take a look at that Washington defense and you take a look at uh, Bo Nix at quarterback, you know, how do you see them being able to get turnovers? Because the thing that I think is their biggest weapon is throwing the ball to um, uh, Troy Franklin. And are they going to move uh, Jabbar Muhammad around and put him on him all the time? Because Franklin's a big dude. So I'm kind of looking at that matchup as well as getting turnovers to be in the key to the game. Well, I think to start with, guys, they need to be able to defend him without creating pass interference. And yeah. that's been a big problem for Washington down the field. I can think of many, many, many times where 50-50 balls, and instead of being able to defend them without fouling, they've created pass interference. And that that has to change. Clearly, that has to change. And then you add to it a quarterback in Bo Nix that only has one interception all season long, yet he's going to be going up against a Washington defense that's already created more interceptions this year through five games than they did all of last year. And so I think that's a big testament, not just 
to what the defense is doing on the back end. But I think it's also a testament to the fact is if you do a little deeper dive on what Washington's doing up front, they may not have the sack numbers to match, but they're certainly getting to quarterbacks. They're certainly getting the quarterbacks off their spot and forcing them into some uncomfortable throws and into some muddier pictures that create some, some throws that they shouldn't be making. Yep. And so when you look at all those things put together, I think that's definitely a matchup you've got to see because turnovers are always big in a game that's this close, that's basically considered a pick 'em game. And furthermore, when you look at just this, the, the whole picture of this thing, you talked about possessions, Kim. I looked at last year's game. Oregon actually had the extra possession last year. They had 10 possessions to Washington's nine. With the timing and the clock rules the way they are right now, this year compared to last year, they're not going to get more than that. If Washington gets nine possessions in this game, that'll probably be about right. And what you need to do defensively, if you're Washington, is you need to be able to get something out of maybe two or three of those drives where you stop them, whether you force a punt, get a turnover, do something, downs, whatever it has to be. You've got to get two or three, at least two or three of those possessions where you get the ball back where they haven't scored. And Scott, I kind of get the feeling I, you know, on uh, my playlist yesterday, Unchained by Van Halen came up and I kind of get this feeling Unchained is going to be Braylon Trice and ZTF. Are they going to dial some stuff up to get those guys loose this weekend? Because it sure feels like this could be the weekend where we see those guys come Unchained. Well, in my prediction, I put that um, I thought Washington had held some things back with their um, yeah, I do too. blitz packages and, and their rush packages and stunts and all those different things. I think, yeah, you'll see a little bit more of that uh, this week. I think that Braylon Trice, you know, getting his first sack against Arizona um, and, and, you know, Washington has to get to Bo Nix, whether that's a sa- sacks are great. Sacks are perfect, you know, but I want to see them get guys. I want I want to see them, you know, get pressure and move him off his spot. Now, Bo Nix is really good at throwing on the run, um, but you know, if Washington is able to get their coverages down and get him off of his spot and get him off schedule, that's when things can happen. When when you can get a hand on a pass and and tip it up in the air and then it's up for grabs and anybody can grab it and and that quick change uh, situation Washington's been really good at this year. And that you're got you gotta hope that Washington's able to force a fumble maybe this yeah. this week. You gotta f- hope that they can that they can do something because getting Bo Nix flustered, which doesn't happen. I mean, the guy has played for si- I think this is his sixth year. He is not gonna get flustered very easily. So you guys have to hit him and hit him. The the most flustered he was was last year when he got injured, and 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 he was not the same guy. Uh, against Utah and Oregon State the following couple weeks. And so Washington really needs to get after him. I don't, I'm not saying they injure him, but they've got to fluster him. And if they can fluster him, he's not going to be the same player that he, that he normally is. And, Scott, you talk about getting him off his spot. Uh, getting him off of his spot as long as you can contain him in the pocket because once he starts running outside the pocket, I get pretty nervous. Oh, yeah. I, I think anybody should get nervous when Bo Nix is out running the ball because he is an elite elite runner when it comes to it, but he doesn't, he's not running like he used to. Um, you know, he, he runs, don't get me wrong. He's going to get you yards. He's not running to get a hundred yards in a game. He's running to get maybe 30 or 40 yards, but that's on when he's not able to, um, you know, when he's able to either pull the ball out with an RPO or, or, you know, or keep the ball or, you know, or escape on a pass rush because guys are getting out of their rush lanes. Yeah. We talked to Eric Schmidt the other day um, and and he basically said we have to stay in our rush lanes. It was published yesterday on Friday that Washington needs to stay in their rush lanes and be disciplined because if they get out of their rush lanes and don't contain him, he's going to hurt them. And also, yeah. good, real quick, guys, it's a good time to remind people about you talk about Bo Nix, who's protecting his blind side. Josh Connolly. Josh Connolly. Josh Connolly. Yep. Josh Connolly from Rainier Beach. This will be his first time back Red playing in front of his friends and family. Yeah. This will be a really interesting one because he has done really, really, really well as their yep. left tackle up to now. I just said this. I'd, and I haven't really seen – I didn't see a lot of the Texas Tech game, so I don't know how he may have been affected by playing on the road there. But I think Braylon Trice and Zion Tupola Fatui taking turns – 
against Josh Connerly, that could really be one of the key matchups in this game. I've got this vision of uh, Braylon Trice getting to Bo Nix early and just kind of going, remember me? But uh, Bo Nix in that Oregon offense, how much impact is the crowd noise going to be? Because it will be loud in Husky Stadium on third down. Well, one of the last one of the last images of that game in Eugene last year, guys, as you said, Kim, Braylon Trice sacking Bo Nix yeah. near the end of that on the very last series. So you're not you're not wrong. I mean, this is this might be Braylon Trice getting to trying to reintroduce himself to Bo Nix early and saying, hey, just like we finished off last year, we're going to start it up again this year. Nothing's changed. And I think when you talk about the crowd and I said it in my prediction on Friday, I really do think when you are essentially creating a pick em game because the, the, the line right now is is Washington and the three. And so essentially what they're saying is the three points is your home field advantage. Yeah. And when you're talking about that, you're talking about the fans being able to create an atmosphere just like the 12s do at Lumen. False starts has to you have to create false starts. You have to create some pre-snap penalties to just get them behind the chains early. And that will energize the, the defense. The defense plays off that. And then when the defense makes plays, that just amps the, the crowd up even more. It plays off of itself, and it just what's, keeps escalating up. What's your over-under on number of false starts and timeouts that they have to call because of crowd noise? What's your over-under, Chris? Oh, I to be honest with you, I think they're well-drilled. I think clearly they're pumping in noise ah, during practices. Give me a number. I got I to say three. I got to say over-under three. Scott? If we're including timeouts and, and false starts, I'm going to say two. Yeah, because if it really ultimately we're, we want we're talking about pre-snap penalties, right? And so and that, but this is you know we're not going to jump too far ahead, but this is I think the penalty situation is obviously something to really keep an eye on because Washington's not been good penalty wise. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Yeah, Scott, you know, jumping over to the UW's offense, one of the things I was going to ask Michael Penix or, uh, you know, Coach Grubb, but I don't know the answer to this because we've seen some things where they're trying to make shifts and confuse the defense. We've seen them snap the ball while defense is making adjustments. Does it help Washington if there's crowd noise when Washington's on offense so the defense can't make the adjustments? Well, you're never going to have crowd noise when you're on offense, Kim. That doesn't well, that's matter. Not true. That's not true because I guarantee you the Oregon fans are going to try to make well, play Well, that's true, plays. but that, that's not going to be an issue for the offense. It, it's just not. It, you know, it, it. You know, Washington needs to be better. I mean, the, the problem is Washington isn't getting um, pre-snap penalties that much, like where they're, they're false starting or things like that. It's holding calls. Right. And those are just brutal. I mean, so and and one of the holding calls that that happened against Arizona was just an absolutely poor call. But you know, you got to understand the refs are, are are just not very good in this conference. And if Washington's going to over, you have to overcome it. You have to figure out a way to overcome it. There's no excuse for you know. You can say bad bad refing. Okay, that's fine. You got to overcome it. There's no excuse for it. So because um, it. When when it comes to the win loss column, Oregon's going to walk away with a with a W, and Washington. Who cares if Washington had 10, 10 penalties called on them and they shouldn't have been called? It's still a W for Oregon. You can't you can't have penalties. Period. Scott, it looks like everybody on offense they look completely healthy. That's what it, that's what it sounds like. Yes, except for the guys that are out for the season. 
Yes. Right. And Chris, yep. it, it sure sounds like everybody's healthy. Rome, of course, took the it looked like he got a hit in the ribs on that onside kick at Arizona. But uh, Jalen McMillan is back. But just what uh, people don't understand, just because you're getting a guy back doesn't mean you're getting 100 percent of that guy. Sometimes it's only 70, 80 percent. But it sure seems to indicate everybody's healthy right now. Correct. And in, in, in Oregon's case, if you look at Oregon's defense versus Washington's offense, they've got some guys that are starting to come back or trying to come back. One of the big ones is their one of their their top secondary guy, Kyrie Jackson, the Alabama transfer. You know, he's been nothing short of a revelation the last couple of games for them. And so but he got hurt. I think he hurt his hip or something against Stanford. And so it was kind of iffy whether or not he was going to be 100 percent coming back. Now, I believe Dan Lanning has said this week that he's he's back. He's practicing. He's good to go. So I think a guy like you, you know, because you talked about the other side, like who is going to uh, go after Troy Franklin? Is it going to be fab- is it going to be a guy like Muhammad or are they, uh, you know, Jackson or whoever is going to be? Are they going to flip him? Are they going to have him followed everywhere he goes? Well, the same can be asked about Roma Dunze or Jalen McMillan or Jalen Polk or. Is Oregon going to have dedicated defenders on those guys, or are they just going to go ahead and play their zones and play their areas, and whoever comes in it, they're just going to go try to attack them and and, yep. and break them? And Chris, um, stone cold, stone cold, Jamarcus Shepard looks at you guys and says it's the best secondary he's ever faced, the best secondary in the country, best he's ever seen. And you guys tried to call him out a little bit on that. He was having none of that. He's he's just stone cold. Say it's the best secondary he's ever seen. Yeah. No, it was uh, it was it was interesting. I won't say it was funny because he certainly didn't find it funny in the least. No. Yeah. He he was uh yeah he was giving it his best Lou Holtz because it talking talking to Mike Varell from the Seattle Times who actually covered Notre Dame the the legend is well told about Lou Holtz. At the beginning of the week, whoever they were playing were seven-foot desert warriors who were undefeated, and Notre Dame had no chance of beating them. And then midweek, maybe a 5% chance. And then by Saturday, it's like, well, why would you have ever considered Notre Dame losing to these guys? These guys are nothing. And so the, it felt a little bit like that. Like Jamarcus Shepard was not only trying to pay the ultimate compliment to them, even if it may have been considered backhanded by the media at the time, but I think it was really more of a shot to his guys to step up and rise to the challenge because they were able to do that against Oregon last year. And he needs to make sure that they do more of the same today. And Scott, I think one of the key is, I think, you know, with Penix and the wide receivers, but I think also a key to that offensive game, Dylan Johnson sounds like he's finally healthy and getting this off week really helps. I don't know if you heard him on softy on KJR, saying he shouldn't have played in the Tulsa game. And he had some uh, knee stuff going on. He had some hamstrings going on and he got some acupuncture, which seemed to make things quite a bit better. But I'm guessing that week off really helps as well. But I think Dylan Johnson could be a key to this game. Oh, yeah. You know, and I talked to uh, Lee Marks and he basically said that, um, you know, Dylan Johnson, this is the guy that we expected. Um, and he's they both believe Dylan and Lee Marks both believe that he's got another level to get to still. And so he's really excited about the way Dylan is playing. He basically said he's taken over the number one spot for us. Number two, it's really between Will Nixon and Tybo Rogers. But, but when it comes to Dylan Johnson, man, you you saw the way he was running on uh, last, last time they were on the field against Arizona, he was running hard. He was running through uh, tacklers, um, he was, he got, put his head down. He made a couple nice catches. Um, that, that one catch was so similar to what, uh, Cameron Davis did against Oregon state with the diving catch. It wasn't in the same kind of a moment in the game, but it was still, uh, pretty impressive the way he dove and caught that pass. So he's a guy that Washington can utilize in this, in this game. And he's going to be a huge key for Washington and able to, in being able to continue to move the ball, because I think Oregon's going to do everything they can. I, I really don't think Oregon's going to challenge Washington one-on-one. Everybody knows that Washington, there is not a defense in this country. And I'm including Alabama. I'm including Georgia. There, there is not a defense in this country who can go one-on-one with Washington's wide receivers and win enough to win a game. So what I think Oregon's going to do is what Arizona did. They're going to back off. They're going to make Washington move down the field incrementally. And I think that they're going to, uh, and I think Dylan Johnson is going to play a huge part in this game. 
And Chris, that Arizona game, um, what I found interesting about that was that uh, the amount of defensive backs that they put out, they were putting six, seven, eight defensive backs out there, which made Michael Penix, what he was doing was dumping the ball off to his playmakers in space and, you know, getting eight to 12 yards on chunk plays. So I think it's going to be interesting to see, I, you know, I think later in the game, Michael started to try to maybe force the ball downfield. And I think it was a learning um, lesson for Michael Penix. It's it's okay to dump the ball down and not force the ball downfield. But I think it's going to be real interesting to see, you know, the coverages that Oregon does put out there, how many DBs and how much Washington just dumps that ball off. Because I really like getting the ball to Jeremy Bernard in space, getting Jer- uh, Jalen McMillan, getting him the ball in space. Dil- you know, all of those guys in space, I think, could be the key. I think that all of that stuff, all of the above, is going to be key, honestly, because that Arizona game did show that Washington can take the easy money. They they were stopped from going over the top, but still threw for 363 yards. Uh, Coach Shepard did say that the first time the receivers got more yards after the catch than he got passing yards. So I think he was a little he was pleased at that and disappointed at that at the same time, if that's possible, because um, he never likes to get beat. Uh, with his yards but at the same time it's just one of those things where you you mentioned Kim how you thought Penix got a little greedy maybe near the end and I I think if you're Ryan Grubb and you're talking to the media he's like I think we still had some plays there and some shots yep. that we should have completed that are that are day one type stuff like that flat pass out to Westover that was just a little outside of his grasp I guarantee you 95 times out of 100 that pass is completed and it's a first down and that that drive goes on and and Arizona never gets a chance to score at the end of the game and now all of a sudden it, it's a 30 what 31-17 game and is anyone really that concerned with how close it got so again us versus us the execution piece i still think michael pennick showed a lot of restraint overall i do agree there was a couple times where maybe he got a little greedier than he needed to be or locked on to a guy uh, before things started to develop a little bit, because again, with those crossing yep. routes, those rub routes, the things like that, you know, he's got opportunities to maybe find some openings. But I, going back to the whole thing about the the dollar packages and the six, seven, eight DBs, I just don't think I'm going to see a lot of that today from Oregon because I think first of all they're going to want to try to heat up Penix with more than four or five guys. I think they're going to want to show some things from some different angles to get him off his spot. And then I also think that. They have way better athletes in Arizona across yeah. the board on their defensive side. And I think they feel like they can match up in a lot of ways against Washington. So the chess match within the football game, always going to be interesting. Down at Arizona, Hugh Millen was on the sidelines and, you know, just towards the end of the game, he's talking that Penix was a little bit off. I go, dude, he threw for 363 yards. You know, I said, would that be a good game or bad game for you? So he kind of chuckled a little bit. But when we talk about Michael Penix, National stage yet uh, on uh, ESPN with game day, everything going here. Uh, big day by Michael Penix. If he's able to throw for 400 yards or 350 yards, throw for two, three touchdowns, make some dynamic plays. He could be the front runner real easily for the Heisman Trophy. I think that if Washington wins this game, the Michael tra- uh, Penix train is uh, on full blast. I I think whoever wins this game between Bo Nix and Michael Penix, I think jumps right up there with Caleb Williams as the favorite. Caleb Williams is still the favorite. and But I think that Washington, Oregon, if Washington or Oregon win this game, whichever team wins it, I think it's going to be on the arm and, and or legs of Bo Nix or the arm of Michael Penix. Um, and I think Washington's got a really good shot to put their, their guy right at the top if they win this game. And Oregon's got the same shot. Whoever wins this game goes right up to the top and is right there with Caleb Williams in the Heisman Trophy run. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be interesting to see what Michael Penix does. And Chris, you had a chance to talk to him this week. What are you expecting to see out of Michael this week? You know, I think he he tried hard uh, on Wednesday to to kind of put the face on that this is no different than any other week. You know, he was able to get away during the bye week a little bit. He talked about playing golf, which I thought was funny. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, I think he understands the stakes as much as anybody. He's played in huge games, not just with Washington, but he, he played in huge games in the Big Ten with Indiana, and so he understands the stage. I don't know if anybody on either side, honestly, has played a game with this kind of 
with these kinds of stakes involved in the middle of the regular season. I mean, there's people out there that are saying this is arguably the biggest regular season Pac-12 game in the conference's history. And that's really putting on the hyperbole nice and thick. And but they may they may not be wrong. You know, this is it's been since 2004 since the conference had two teams ranked in the top 10 with undefeated records going in, uh, you know, playing against each other. Well, 2004, it was the Pac-10. It wasn't the Pac-12. So, you know, you had to go way back to find something that was even relevant, almost 20 years. So, yeah, I think whoever, I agree with Scott, whoever wins this game today gets the inside track. Um, there's a lot of people right now, Kim, that think Michael Penix is the Heisman front runner right now. And it could be one of those things where maybe Washington wins ugly and Bo Nix is the only person that kind of keeps them, keeps Oregon in the game. So you just never know how this thing goes. But definitely whoever wins this game, it's not I don't think it's going to hurt their chances at all. And if anything, it should springboard them. And again, Caleb Williams on a big stage as well, you know, playing at Notre Dame. But um, I mentioned, you know, one of my keys to the game was going to be the uh, possessions and the amount of turnovers and getting extra possessions. But I think the other key comes down to, and we saw it last year, was uh, the coaching. I think uh, Dan Lanning um, made a couple of foolish mistakes being a first-year head coach. Will he make those same foolish mistakes against Washington this year. Uh, talk to me a little bit about how you feel about the second-year coach uh, going against uh, Kalen DeBoer, Scott. Well, you know, I I think, I, you know, if you're at Oregon, you're hoping that he learns some lessons about some of the uh, calls that he made. Um, I don't, you know, I, I look back, I went, I went back and watched it, and I'm like, man, you guys just gave it to Washington. You know, I mean, they did have a chance with that last – uh, with that last um, possession to to possibly get a win. But, you know, giving Washington the ball at their own, what, 38, 35 yard line, 36, whatever it was. And, and then having Peyton Henry come out and hit his game winner. You know, I, I just, I, that's huge question mark in my, in my book. And, um, you know, I, I really think that, that you, you would hope if you're Oregon that he's learned his lessons um, you know, the hard way and, and, and everything like that. And, and, um, yeah, I, I think I I've got to believe that he's not going to make some of the same, uh, questionable, uh, coaching decisions that he made, uh, last year. Dan, Dan Lanning is not a stupid person. He is a smart person. And I've got to believe that he's, he's learned from his mistakes and Washington isn't going to get, uh, the gift of a, of a fourth, fourth and what fourth and two, at the 38 yard line for Oregon. I don't, I don't see that happening again. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it was just the ghost of Mario Cristobal fetters. <laughs> well, I don't know. Mario Cristobal had a decent record against Washington. So um, I would say that I agree with Scott hundred percent. I think Dan Lanning's a really smart coach, um, obviously a great recruiter, a uh, great leader for that program at Oregon. What I would also say that I think these two things can be true. He can be a really good coach but he can also be a coach that rides the mood swings a little bit more than you would expect from a coach at that level. So he may ride the highs and ride the lows a little bit more. Whereas a guy like Kalen DeBoer, I posted it on the board this week. If you go back and look at the highlights from that, that game last year in Eugene, when you know Peyton Henry, as Scott said, when Peyton Henry kicks that field goal and they pan over to the Washington sideline, the players are going berserk. Man, Kalen DeBoer is already on the next play. He didn't have time to worry about that. He's You can already tell he's out there in the field. He's getting ready for, you know, trying to get the guys ready for the kickoff and things like that. I, I just think that Kalen DeBoer, you know, for all of the talk about him not having a lot of experience at the top level and things like that, he's experienced championship situations. And so he may not have done it in front of 70,000 people. He may have only done it in front of 15 or 20,000 people or, or maybe even a lot less than that. But the point being is he's been in these situations. He understands how to react. He understands that on it's on game days where he has got to be the manager because it's during the week where you get emotional with where your guys during the preparation, during practice, during all those things that matter. That's when they get that involved. It's on Saturdays when you cut it loose yep. and give it over to the players and say, you're prepared, you're ready to go. You can handle this. And so I just think that it, when you come down and you really look at the comparison between those two head coaching styles, it just feels to me 
like Dan Lanning has a more of an emotional reaction to these things, both the good things and the bad things. Whereas I think Kalen DeBoer, man, it's like, he's just ice cold. It's just his, his heart rate is 60, no matter if they're winning by 60 or if they're losing by 60, you you would never know. And Scott, not only a big game on the field, but uh, probably Washington's biggest recruiting event of the year so far expected today. Oh, uh, well, I mean, other than the official visit weekend, you know, in, in uh, late June. Yeah. I mean, it, you've got tons of talent that is going to be on hand for Washington's game this weekend. I mean, you've got Jericho Johnson, the top guy on Washington's board, um, you know, uh, defensive tackle out of uh, California, uh, Northern California. Um, you've got, uh, Jason Brown, who's also going to be on hand. I don't think Washington's a huge player for him, but, uh, he's going to be on hand for the game. You've got four or five commits that are going to be actually six commits that are going to be on campus. Um, Elias Johnson, Kamori house, Demaritius Davis, Decker DeGraff, Jason Robinson, and justice Williams all are planning to be on campus this and, weekend. And just real quick, all, all those guys are going to be working the other guys like. Oh, Chris. absolutely will. Yeah. They've also got a guy that um, has been crystal ball to Washington quite a bit. Um, I've also put a crystal ball in for Washington for him. Keona Wilhite, an edge out of South Point Catholic in Arizona. He's going to be on hand. You've got two uh, commits to other schools from 2024. Uh, in Elijah Lofton, uh, who's committed to Miami, and Hogan Hansen, a uh, local guy from Bellevue who's committed to Michigan. They're both planning to be at, on campus. Um, you know, uh, Isaiah Inge, who is William Inge's son, will also be on hand. And then there's just a load of 2025 and 2026 guys. I'm not going to go through all the names because most of these guys are not going to really ring a bell with anybody, but they've got some big-time defensive backs coming up. Adonis Curry, Darius Dixon, Dijon Lee, those guys are all four or five star cornerbacks, defensive backs. They're all going to be on campus. You've got a lot of um, you've got one of the top quarter, two of the top quarterbacks that Washington's already offered in Jackson Colick and Madden Iamavea. Uh, and um, those two guys, uh, Madden is the younger brother of is it Nico? who went to uh, Tennessee. I think that was his name. Nico, I am a um, he's, um, he's the one who got $9 million to go to Tennessee. So um, that's a big time uh, talent that they're bringing in there. They've got a lot of local guys that are going to be on campus. Noah Flores from Graham Kapowson, Zadrius, uh, Rainey Saleh, a linebacker from Bethel, um, Bellevue's offensive lineman, Dimitri Manning, uh, he's going to be on campus and a bunch of 2026 guys, the two really good ones from O'Day. Uh, they, I, I, I never pronounce his name right. Uh, Famiatau, Siale, and David Schwerzel, those guys will both be on campus. Cody Green, an offensive lineman from Eastside Catholic, he's a 20, top, probably the top 2026 guy. Yep. On, in the in the uh, state and Washington's g- doing really well with him. So lots of talented kids, probably about 50 to 60 guys who not wouldn't necessarily be takes, but are guys that Washington is looking at very heavily on the recruiting trail. Scott, I would expect one commitment out of this weekend. What would you say? I'm not expecting any. Uh, now, if there is one, I think it's going to be Keona Wilhite. That's and, what I'm thinking. Yeah. Yeah. And that might happen. It, it definitely could happen. I just think if he's going to commit, I think it'll be maybe maybe he commits to Washington and then announces a little later. I just don't think we're going to see an announcement come out on Sunday or or whatever. But uh, you just never know. You just never know. Uh, It's recruiting, man. (laughs) You just never know. The best thing that could happen is for Chris, Kim and I to all be out doing something. And that's when it's probably going to happen. So um, that's just that that's the guy who would commit if he was going to commit. Hey, Scott, yeah. real, real quick, do you think that there's a possibility that a 2025 guy might make a decision? Because Washington any, doesn't have any 2025 guys in yet. Yeah, they don't. Um, if anybody was going to – right now, the two guy, the three guys that I think are the most likely are Devin Hyde. He's an edge out of Northern California, out of Menlo Atherton. He was up for the um, game against – I want to say Cal. Cal. I'm yeah. pretty sure it was Cal that he was up for. And I talked to him after that game. He loved his experience. He just did an interview with uh, Brandon Huffman that he's planning to be up for the, for the apple cup. And if he commits early, I think that would probably be when it happens. Cody green wouldn't surprise me. 
Um, I think Washington's doing really, really well with him. And then maybe another guy by the name of the other one, uh, Zadrius Rainey Saleh. Um, I think Washington's doing really well with him as well. So those are kind of the three guys I could see pull, pulling the trigger early for 2025, but I don't see it happening this weekend. Yeah, I just uh, want to touch bases on basketball real quick. I was down um, in Las Vegas, uh, dealt with uh, the women's team on Tuesday and the men on Wednesday. First of all, if you haven't had a chance to um, talk or see Tina Langley, boy, she is impressive. Um, I haven't really had a chance to talk to her that much um, previously to being down in Vegas this weekend, but uh, she's the real deal. She's an, as impressive a coach as uh, you could see, and you could see why she's a really good fit at Washington. And Scott kind of warned me, but talking to her just it's like pulling teeth trying to get her to talk about individual players and trying to get her players to talk about other players is like pulling teeth. It's a real team effort. And uh, I think she's going to be really successful at the University of Washington. So uh, keep an eye on women's basketball and what Tina Langley is doing with the basketball team. And then also got a chance to uh, talk to Mike Hopkins quite a bit and um, uh, Keon Brooks and Xavier Wheeler. I kept on screwing it up, calling him severe and, um, he's a real bright, intelligent, engaging guy. Um, and when I was calling him severe, every time I would do that, he would correct me and say it was severe. And he explained to me how important it was. That was his, uh, name given to him at birth by his parents. And, you know, just out of respect for his parents, he thinks it's important to make sure people are, uh, pronouncing it correctly. I said, you know, I'm going to screw it up. And he just smiles at me. He goes, as long as you're trying, Kim, as long as you're trying, but, uh, Xavier Wheeler and Keon Brooks were impressive as well. And I think people are sleeping on this basketball team. I talked to coach Hopkins and we'll have a lot of content, uh, from my, um, visit down there last this past week. We'll have quite a bit of that content out next week. But, you know, I talked to Mike Hopkins about last year when Frank Kepnong, the center, went down. It put them down to only having one big man, uh, Braxton Mia. And all of a sudden, they expected Braxton Mia to play 35 minutes a game where he was expected to maybe play 15 to 20. They didn't have another big. But this year, They've got four bigs, not three. They've got four in uh, Braxton Mia. They've got Frank Kepnong, who's not going to be 100% by the beginning of the year, but he'll get there. Also, uh, Wilhelm Bradenbach that they brought in from Modern Day High School. He's a transfer from Nebraska. He's a legitimate big. And then an interesting walk-on. I think he's 25, 26 years old. Can't remember, well, I'm spacing on the guy's name, but uh, they got a walk-on big who's a huge guy, and it's five more additional fouls. So having four bigs on the roster is really going going to make a difference compared to only having one. Then in addition, Kristen, you know this as well as I do. They've had issues at point guard over the past several years where if they lose a point guard, uh, they lost Quad A Green at through the season into a loop. They lost um, uh, Noah, um, why am I spacing? Noah Williams. They lost Noah Williams last year at the beginning of the year who threw the whole team off. But when you take a look at the point guards that they've got, Xavier Wheeler can play point. Paul Mulcahy, the transfer from Rutgers, can play point at six foot seven. Um, they've got uh, Corin Johnson, who can play more point, who was expected to redshirt last season. And uh, Nate Kalmis, also the transfer from uh, Lamar, can come in and play the point. So they've got legitimate bigs. They've got legitimate points. And the other thing that they've been missing, Chris, and you know this too, they've gone into scoring slumps where they haven't been able to score. Um, they've got a legitimate guy who can come in and instant offense and Nate Kalmis who will be coming off the bench who can come in and provide you that instant offense and shooting's also been an issue but they've got some guys who can definitely shoot the ball uh, Moses Wood is as good a shooter as they've had since CJ Wilcox Keon Brooks has greatly improved his three-point shooting you've got Corin Johnson who can shoot the three and Anthony Hall in the transfer from Fresno State can shoot the three so it's going to be an interesting year and see what this team can do but uh, don't sleep on basketball just Chris any real quick thoughts on basketball before before we wrap this up no the the other big you're thinking of the walk-on is the grad student is the hemi cabea from rainier yeah. beach he's yeah like, but six ten. so he's and, yeah. and, and and just in terms of the scoring thing the scoring thing i think is one of the biggest things because even a guy like calmis who may not even be in their in their six rotation right now he might he may not be the sixth man coming off the bench um you know he's still got to me he's got some nigel williams goss vibes yeah. where he just can find ways to score, to put the ball in the bucket. 
And then again, when you've got some pure scorers, you know, like a Moses Wood, like a Wesley Yates, and then you even add on top of it um, a guy like a Mulcahy, who I think can do a little bit of everything, and Anthony Holland, who's going to be kind of that Swiss Army knife guy. I think you mentioned he's kind of a kind of a Mike Anderson type guy. Yeah, yeah. And then and then you hear a guy like Christian King, a true freshman, getting like 16 in Europe, and you're like, where did that come from? Yeah, there's so many questions that need to be answered once we actually see this team hit the the hardwood, right, and actually play a game against someone. I'm going to be really, really curious because, to me, there's a lot of questions and a lot of potential for what this team could represent. But until we actually see them play, especially almost more defensively, honestly, than on offense, because defensively it's going to be a, a, a sea change because they're not going to be playing zone anymore. They're going to be playing almost exclusively man, which I think if you if you look at some of the like the Twitter X accounts of of some former players like an Isaiah Thomas or some of these other guys, they've been begging for Hop to get out of the zone for a couple of years now. And now that's happened. And so we'll see how how much that affects how things happen in transition how yeah. much they can get out and run and do those types of things. So again, a lot of potential, a lot of unanswered questions. Can't wait to see what this group looks like on the floor. Yeah, just a couple of notes real quick. Uh, Moses Wood at six foot seven. A lot of people thinking he, he's just a shooter. No, he's not just a shooter. He'll go in and he'll bang. He'll bang and you know he'll get in there with the elbows. He's not afraid to get in there and bang. So he's more of a complete player. And I think he's like twenty five years old as well. So you like those older guys. Uh, the guy that everybody's kind of raving about. He was injured, you know, so didn't really get to participate over in Italy. But uh, a lot of the guys are telling me that Wesley Yates, the freshman from Texas, is the best player on the team right now, and he possibly could be a one and done and when you take a look at him he looks like a linebacker he's a big dude so uh, keep an eye on the freshman Wesley Yates it's going to be hard to keep him off the floor and again you know coach Hopkins said they've only uh, in practice so far they've only played two possessions of zone so the zone is pretty much out the door so uh, so Kim what if you if you had to predict a starting five for the first game what who do you think is going to be in the starting five uh, that would be Wheeler um, Mulcahy uh, Moses Wood, Keon Brooks, and Braxton Mia. Okay. And then um, first off the bench would just be dependent on uh, if it's a big or a small. First big off the bench at the beginning of the season is going to be Bradenbach. And you could see Bradenbach. Um, uh, I call him Rambus. <laughs> the guys were cracking up. I call him Rambus because he looks like Kurt Rambus and he banks. But uh, you could see Bradenbach come in if Mia gets in foul trouble. Uh, I think Corin Johnson would be the first um, guard off the bench. Um, and then depending on what was needed, Wesley Yates. So those are going to be the first three guys. I think that's going to be your uh, top eight. But it's going to be hard to keep Anthony Holland off the off the floor as well because he just does – like I said, he's probably going to give you six to eight points. He's going to get you four to five rebounds. He's going to get you three to four assists. And he's going to play great defense. But he's going to do those things when they matter. So uh, one guy said he's that best player on the floor that, floor, floor that looks like he should play in, in the 40-year-old beer league. But, man, he's an efficient guy. He really, really is. So, uh, you know, I think they're going to go nine or ten deep. So it's going to be difficult to uh, find minutes. And I think that's Hop's biggest issue right now. And I know – People are just poo-pooing. Yeah, Mike Hopkins is still the coach and all this nonsense. Uh, I would be, uh, I, I wouldn't be so quick to judge this team. And I always say this, you know, what Ted Lasso said: be curious, not judgmental. And I'd be real curious about this team because I think it's it's got some it's got some dudes, and they may be the oldest team in the country as well. So, Scott Eklund, wrap it up. Uh- just excited to be uh, at, in the in the press box and be a part of this this game. I mean, th- I think it's going to be a great game. Um, I think it's going to be one of those classic games that uh, I'm, at least that's what I'm hoping for. For a while, I didn't even know if I was going to be able to make it because I was running a temperature and feeling like dog, you know what, uh, this week. But um, I'm on the mend and I should be there this afternoon. Um, I'm looking forward to being there and, um, it's going to be fun. People need to get in their seats early. They need to be around. Um, this, this thing is going to be off the hook from the very beginning. People need to get there early 
and and have their voices ready to go because Washington's going to need all the help you can get. I've got Washington 31-28. I know I'm lower on the scores than pretty much everybody else is. Um, I think Washington's going to get some turnovers, and I think Washington's going to win on a late field goal or uh, maybe be up 31-21, 31-23, something like that, and, and uh, Oregon goes down and tries to score, whatever it is. And I think Washington ends up winning the game. So um, going to be a great game, great showcase for the university, for the football program, for the city of Seattle, all those different things. And uh, Washington is the center of the football world right now. And that's pretty exciting. Hey, Chris, before I forget, um, I've heard some rumors. You've seen where um, Michael Penix does the bow and arrow thing after a touchdown pass. Sounds like they've got some stuff going on with that Um in the student section and throughout the stadium. So kind of keep an eye on that. If Michael Penix throws a touchdown, him doing the bow and some play, I think there's going to be some playoff of the bow and arrow and bodacious. So something to keep an eye on, but uh, go ahead and wrap it up for us. Yeah. He was asked about that this week and he said he didn't really remember where it came from, but he said he knows that the only reason people are even going to care about it is he's got to score more touchdowns. So, I mean, that's, you know, I think the best case scenario for Washington fans is if you see the bow and arrow come out a lot today, because that means obviously Washington scoring plenty of points. Um, I'll echo Scott's thing in terms of the, the, the fans need to get out bright and early. I mean, obviously with, with game day starting this morning and we're kind of trying to get all our stuff wrapped up as well here. Um, I kind of harken back to what Troy Dan said on Tuesday. You got to affect change. And that was pointed not just at the boosters and the donors and the people that, that provide the bucks for the athletic department, but it's definitely uh, pointed at the fans as well. And, it, and if all you can do is go out and cheer your guts out, that's what you got to do. I remember uh, a game back in the 80s when Washington lost at home to Navy. My dad couldn't talk for a week. And when I was a kid, I was thinking, what is going on? Like he, he lost his voice. What, what, ha- I mean, now I get it. <laughs> I totally get it now, but back in the day, it was a little weird, but this is, these were the lengths that Washington fans used to go to back in the day to create the atmosphere. That's now considered the greatest setting in college football. And Washington fans need to recreate that. There was a post on the board earlier this week about the 92 game with with the decibel readings and that I think it was the exact play when Tommy Smith sacked the Nebraska quarterback in the East end zone that created that that decibel reading. And people asked, could 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 Washington fans today get it to that level? And I was like, there's no way. I'll rise you guys to the challenge. Make it happen. See if you guys can get a decibel reading around. What was it? One thirty five, one thirty six, whatever it was. See if you guys can get it done. I think that would be amazing. So um I said it in my predictions, guys. I think the fans will be one of the huge intangibles in this game. And when you have a pick 'em game, it's the intangibles playing at home, getting the crowd involved, getting the defense to feed off the crowd and vice versa. All those things play such a huge role in monster matchups like this one. And I don't expect any different here in a few hours. So I think it's just going to be an incredible game. Most epic game. Uh expected that we've seen in a while the last time we've had this much excitement and and, uh, hype for a game was Stanford back in the I think it was 2016 back in the uh, cupcakes on the field game Chris Fowler Herb Street here Um, there's a lot of excitement around this this would be this would be gigantic for University of Washington football it would uh, definitely put them on the national stage and uh, like nothing we've ever seen. So uh, it's going to be a wild, wild game and 1230 kickoff, Scott, you got to love that. You should get home. What's, what's your over under by what time I'm you actually, get home? I'm doing something that you um, said that one of the good things about late games is you can attend your kid's soccer game. Well, my son's soccer game is actually 1230 today. So this is the first time that's actually, uh, been a, a con- in conflict this year. But um, that being said, I love early kickoffs. I love the fact that when we're doing post game, we'll be able to watch the rest of the games from the Pac-12 and everything like that. So that'll be kind of fun. Um, yeah, love love it that that this is an early game. Four o'clock would have been okay too, but yeah, twelve thirty kickoff just seems right. Yeah. No. What's your over under? What time are you gonna get home? Me? Yeah. Uh, seven. Between seven seven thirty somewhere around. Yeah. I got eight. Okay. You're, right. You have to drive farther than I do. So. <laughs> so. Hey, and you, UCLA, Oregon State tonight. That that should be a nice yep. little way to wrap up the, the Pac-12 slate. Yep. Yeah. 
I, I said this earlier this week. This is why we do it. Um, this is fun. I mean, it's just been we've been drinking water through a fire hose all week, um, you know, with everything going on with the new AD, with basketball down in Vegas and I'm out of town and, you know, Scott being a little bit under the weather. But this is just going to be an epic game, epic atmosphere. But it's why we do it. So uh, we have a good gig and we work real hard to bring you guys the best coverage that uh, we can get. So. If you have friends that are hardcore Husky football fans and they're not subscribed, would appreciate you saying, dudes, you got to subscribe. You know, the good stuff is out at dogman.com. We would appreciate that. So and uh, one more thing, a lot of basketball coverage we'll have for you next week. Don't sleep on basketball. I know some you just rolling your eyes, but uh, if you're just going to roll your eyes, just go away. <laughs> so anyways, for all of us at dogman.com, I'm Kim Grenolds, along with Chris Fetters and Scott Eklund. Go dogs. <laughs> Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.